Welcome to Popular Podagogy, a podcast brought to you by the Queen's University Faculty of Education. Uh, we've had a few interesting podcasts so far between uh, researchers and other guests as far as our education podcast has gone so far, but uh, today we're trying something new and we are bringing on a graduate student at the Faculty of Education. Uh, so I'm joined here today by Sawyer Hogenkamp. Sawyer, how are you doing today? Uh, a little sticky, but other than that, not too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's, for those of you that are wondering out, out there, uh, our podcast studio is quite warm uh, and it is quite warm outside, so we are getting a little bit hot and heavy in here, but that's okay. That's what the Popular Podagogy podcast is all about. So, Sawyer, we're going to start off by talking a little bit about uh, what it's like to be a master's student. So, a lot of people have a really tough choice when they leave university, and I know that I faced this too um, when I was leaving university, and I actually chose the opposite of if they want to continue uh, their schooling and if they want to go into research. So what made you decide to go back to school and get your master's degree? Yeah, so in, uh, well, I a little background. So I did my undergraduate at University of Waterloo, and um, I always wanted to be a uh, teacher. So right from high school, I planned it so that uh, I could kind of follow two passions. So I wanted to uh, continue my piano studies and my music studies and also my uh, geography and environment studies. Right. I uh, majored in both at University of Waterloo and then picked the best education program in Ontario and, uh, for uh, for Queens for the B.Ed. program. Again, we really love Queens on this podcast in case anyone out there was wondering. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. But <laughs> I, first, I thought it was the best program <laughs> when I first got in. But it, actually, it was great because I, uh, as a consecutive education, I snuck into the, to the one-year program. Um, anyways, I graduated with my teaching degree, and I I spent a year looking for teaching work, and soon began to realize that hey, maybe my passion isn't really uh, teaching uh, young kids. I I really liked my time teaching adults. So, um, so that was one thing that pushed me to graduate school. And the other thing was research. I had a lot of unanswered quest- questions with uh, with uh, teaching and education issues, and I thought, hey, uh, why not go back to Queens and uh, and uh, join the graduate program. So that's what brought me, and now I'm here. So this is a bit of a loaded question, so I, I am going to give you a second to think about it, but what have been the best and the worst parts of being a master's student? <laughs> the, uh, well, I, a lot of it is, there is a duality for everything, so you could say a best part is, oh, I have a pretty free schedule, but at the right. same time you have to manage your own time, and and if you fill it up, then you're not so free anymore. But the best, I think the, the best part about being a graduate student is, is, uh, is just being a part of that Queens community. Um, on West Campus, we're separated from, from main campus, so, um, we see a lot of each other in the same building. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we're very fortunate that we have a workspace in, in the same building, so, um, there's about 50, 40 or 50 desks, uh, down, uh, allocated to graduate students, and, uh, there's sort of a community around there. So my favorite part about being a graduate student is participating in that community and, and, uh, and helping and having fun with each other, definitely. And what about the worst part of being a master student? You can, you can be honest on this one. Well, um, uh, the fact that we're not considered uh, employees and we don't get those $5 lunches on Fridays. <laughs> that is, that's, that is tough. I mean, it's, it's a rough go. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to rub it in, but I am an employee and the $5 Friday lunches are quite fantastic and I can't wait to get them back. Um, 
so we're going to transition now a little bit. Uh, so you've previously previously appeared in uh, the Queen's University Faculty of Education Research in a Nutshell, uh, or RIAN, um, and essentially what that is is a student publication uh, on research that's happening within the Faculty of Education. Now, this is a really cool thing. Uh, if you're like me and you don't have a ton of time to be reading academic papers all the time, but you kind of want to keep up with things that are going on, um, it's nice for you to just get a, a bit of a uh, Coles Notes version or a glimpse of what's um, what's happening in, as far as educational research. Um, I kind of wish that more publications and more places did this. It's almost like getting a very uh, easy-to-digest version of it. So now I'm going to put you on the spot. So in a nutshell, can you tell us what your research was about for that that article? Sure. So um, for my master's thesis or my research, um, I'm interested in bullying on school buses. And in particular, I'm interested in school bus drivers' perspectives of right. the issue. And uh, what did you find from that research or, or what have you looked into from that so far? Well, I conducted the research um, with um, a survey with follow-up interviews. So um, I surveyed bus drivers on their perceptions of bullying and then followed up with um, one-on-one interviews with bus drivers in southern Ontario. And um, it was very interesting because bus drivers aren't really... um, aren't really studied compared to teachers or administration, things like that. Although stu- a lot of students spend hours and hours each day on the school bus under a school bus driver's care. So for me, that was really interesting. Um, and from talking to bus drivers, really the main thing is that uh, they, they feel like their voices aren't really being heard um, in general. Now, sometimes it's not even related to bullying. Sometimes it's other things, but, uh, you can tell that they don't, um, get a lot, a whole lot of advocacy compared to, um, other professions within education. So that was a, a big theme right off the get go that sort of frames everything around the research. Awesome. And, uh, as you mentioned, you had spoke with school bus drivers quite a bit. Now I'm uh, hearkening back to my days where I was visiting or when I was riding the school bus. Um, and I know that my school bus drivers and the school bus drivers of other people were quite interesting characters. Uh, so did you uh, get the chance to meet any interesting characters as you were completing your research? And uh, do you maybe have any stories out of that? Sure. I can talk a little bit about about my research. Um, I feel like bus drivers kind of have a stereotype over their heads. When you, right. when you think of a bus driver, it's one of two things. You'll think of a stay-at-home mom that will uh, do that for decades. Yeah. Or you think of an older uh, retiree that's just doing it for extra income. Is it bad that I think of Otto from The Simpsons? Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know what? It's funny. That stereotype doesn't exist anymore. No, it's probably a good thing. I, well, I should hope that that is not what bus drivers are yeah, like. I'm pretty sure all, most of the autos in the world have expired by now. Yes, so that's good. pretty much done. <laughs> but, uh, I did interview one fellow um, who uh, reminded me of Otto a little bit because he's really cool with the kids. Um, so, but it's interesting because I interview these people and yes, many of them are retirees and lots of them are stay at home moms, but you know, they all have different education backgrounds. They all come from different life experiences and really they're all in the school bus profession because, um, they 
care about kids and right. they want to uh, provide safe transportation to and from school. And it happens to fit within their uh, life schedule. So, yeah, I, I remember when I was teaching that uh, I would speak to the school bus driver often because I was uh, at the school quite early. And, and so was she because she had to start her route from there. And uh, she was definitely an interesting person. Um, she had a very unique personality, but when it, when it boiled down to things, she, uh, she really cared about the kids and she, everything that she was, was doing was out of interest to the kids and making sure that they were doing things. Now, um, whether she came back with that same opinion at the end of the day, every single time, I'm not entirely sure because she could get quite frustrated and some of our students didn't necessarily do everything that they were supposed to on the school bus. Well, that's putting uh, it nicely. Yeah, I'm being very <laughs> diplomatic here. Um, <laughs> But uh, it was it was definitely something that uh, you, you touched on that that uh, it comes out of a position where they they really care about the students and that's something that's um, quite amazing that that we have that group of people that's not just there because it's convenient for them or their hours are there they're there because they actually care yeah and maybe to put a little more context to that um, you think about a teacher and why a teacher would teach for 30 40 years it's because they care about kids right. And you think about, oh, maybe an educational assistant who gets paid half or less that of the teacher while they're there because they care about the kids. And then you think about, okay, a school bus driver that has to do all those things but then drive a school bus right at the same time with less pay. Um, again, it's because they really love kids and they really care. So, <laughs> I mean... Um, so it's really it's 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 they again a lot of them are interesting characters and they uh it's just um uh, they do an amazing job and it's really inspiring to talk to them and that was my favorite part of the research we're going to transition back a little bit to uh master studies and and what it's like to um be a master student so one of the hardest things for many master students is determining the topic of their research. Mm-hmm. Um, so what drew you to the school bus drivers and how did that lead you uh, to doing this research study? Like what what made you want to get to that point? Um, so um, it wasn't really an external source. So when I applied to graduate school, I didn't really have a particular supervisor in mind or an expert in the field because... Um, I really wanted to study school bus drivers based on my own experience riding a school bus for 13 years as a child and basically being left unsupervised and not really finding out a lot of empirical uh, studies about that sort of experience. And that's because there really aren't a lot of experts in the field that, that look at school bus driving at an empirical level. So so I didn't come to Queens for the, for the expertise, but I did come to Queens because um, I already had... Um, I realized as a bachelor's of education student that they had a high emphasis on research and, um, and they had faculty that had a lot of diverse, um, uh, areas of study. And I, I just felt like, um, it was a, the type of community that could, um, support, uh, uh, what I wanted to do and support new ideas. Um, so that's what led me to continue to do, um, the school bus uh, study. When I'm talking to faculty about uh, when I w- before I had settled on a supervisor, it feels like everyone I talked to about school buses, they all had a story about a school bus, whether or not they rode one as a kid or not, and maybe as a parent or, or something. They always had a, had a story, and 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 their questions from the story never really had an answer because. Um, so I, I really wanted to fill and help answer those questions they had. Um, and then you took your research uh, and then put it into a competition across Queens called the three three minute thesis. 
Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about this competition? Yeah, so uh, Three Minute Thesis didn't start in Canada. It has, has actually started in Australia. Um, and then it's, uh, I think it started maybe a decade ago. Um, I may be wrong. But uh, in a very short time, it's spread internationally. So it's become quite popular in Canadian universities now. Um, a three Minute Thesis. So as the title suggests, you have three minutes to uh, talk about your research. And... Um, and you have to speak, obviously, it's sort of like research in a nutshell, except uh, in the verbal. And then you have, and then, so you have to, uh, and then you're adjudicated. So it sort of reminded me, I was drawn to it because as a child, I, I, I did those speech competitions. Right. That's what um, I immediately thought yeah. of when we, when I read about it. Yeah. And I think the time limit for those was five minutes. So yeah. You have a, you have an 11 year old trying to cut it down to five minutes. Now, <laughs> now I have to cut it to three minutes and I have so much more to say. Right. Um, so that was incredibly, incredibly challenging. It sounds very easy. Oh, a three minute thesis. I can bang that out in a, in a couple of days. Um, but it's incredibly difficult to, um, to get across everything you want to say in a meaningful, engaging way that has an impact. So what process did you take to get down to that three-minute mark? Because I imagine that would be quite difficult, like you said, to take such a large topic and so, so much information and, and uh, pare it down so that you were really only getting the the bare bones of it yeah. and then presenting that in a way that is still scholarly and academic. Yeah. So what, what was the process that you went through there? Well, for me, and I use this process for teaching, and um, some people use it, some people don't, but I always think about my audience first. What does my audience need to know? What do, what, what do they need to know? How, and how do I just make, how do I make sure they have an engaging time as a listener and as a learner? So uh, right away, um, now this three-minute thesis is interdisciplinary. So you have not just education people, but uh, molecular biology, math, cultural studies. So um, I realize I'm talking to an audience without an educational background. So I, I have to spend a minute just talking to the audience to say, hey, bullying is bad. <laughs> it, it takes about a minute to, to, to say that. And then that leaves me two minutes to talk about, okay, my research, and then another minute to talk about um, what I've, my findings, basically, right. and why it's important. And... Would you recommend other researchers try doing the three-minute thesis? Did you think that it was a valuable experience for you? It's very valuable. Um, I would just caution it is time-consuming. So if you do decide to do the three-minute thesis, you have to put aside – you have to pause your research, basically. Right. Uh, so um, uh, we had uh, Dr. Lee Ayrton, who you interviewed on your first episode. She took the initiative and had a practice session. So I spent about a week preparing for the practice session at um, education, and then it took me another week to prepare for the competition, and then another, uh, and then the following week was the I was lucky enough to proceed to the finals, so another week to polish it for the finals. So um, as far as my research goes, it took me about three weeks of of, uh, of practicing and writing. Um, most of it was writing for me and and the last 20% presenting. For other people, it might be more presenting than writing. It depends on what your strengths are. Right. Um, the other thing with Three Minute Thesis is that you get one, you get to put up a slide. So you have a visual, but it, the, it's static. You have one slide. So you need to talk for three minutes and you only have one slide. So you also have to figure out how you're going to play 
or uh, parry off your slide, but not have it be too distracting or that sort of thing. So right. it, you sort of have that audio and visual element going on at the same time. So really, it's a lot packed into three minutes. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of of work and a lot more than people probably appreciate when they actually just look at it and say, oh, it's three minutes, you can figure it out. Yes, but when you actually go and show up and watch these presentations, especially in the final round at Queen's, they, they all will blow you out of the water. They're all fantastic. They, they're all polished. Um, th- I think this year especially, I did attend the year before, and, he, and in the course of one year, um, I think they've had uh, way more participants, and I imagine they will keep growing. So it's a lot of fun, and I definitely recommend it for um, anyone who has at any stage of their research, even if they're even if they're not finished, you can still talk about it for three minutes. Right. Um, so we're going to ask one more question before we go to uh, a bit of a break here. As I talked about to, with you before we started the podcast, actually, um, I'm starting my master's in the fall. So um, for those of you out there that are like me and you're looking to start your master's or you are starting your master's, what advice would you give to um, someone who's in that position? Sure. So if you're, yeah, you're going to start your master's in September? Yeah. Then? Okay. So um, right away, uh, t- uh, for the first couple months, actually take your time and don't think you have to hit the ground running. You need to uh, get familiar with what class is like and what the program is like and start talking to different faculty members. Um, Ideally, you might have an idea for your research, but that might not be the thing you end up doing uh, for your thesis. So um, that's an opportunity to bounce ideas off of people and kind of figure out yourself. Because if you haven't had a lot of experience um, doing research or academic writing, um, you might find that... um, what you really had in your head uh, isn't really working on paper and you might discover that, oh, my strength is in another area. Maybe I should follow that path. So really for the first semester, the first couple months, it's all about finding yourself. And then after that, I mean, you're going to branch off and do your own thing. Right. Uh, well, I'll definitely keep that in mind when I'm I'm starting this fall. And uh, you heard it, Candace. I get to take it slow now. So I don't, yeah. I don't have to rush into anything. I don't have to do anything fast. No more putting pressure on me, okay? Yeah, that's that's the way this is going to be. Good thing Candace uh, isn't mic'd because... Yeah. <laughs> There's some choice words going on behind me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on that note, we'll be right back uh, after a word from our sponsors. Are you a professional looking to upgrade your skills in a flexible online environment? Are you looking to further your career options or try your hand at something new? Queen's Professional Studies offers low-cost online courses created with the working professional in mind. You can build your skills as an editor with the Professional Editing Standard Certificate or work towards a certificate for international education professionals where you can learn how to develop international programs within the education sector in this increasingly globalized world. Don't have a university degree? No problem. Our courses are designed to be open and accessible to any educational background. For more information, check out professionalstudies.educ.queensu.ca. That's professionalstudies.educ.queensu.ca for more information and to sign up now. Welcome back 
to Popular Podagogy. Uh, we're here with Sawyer Hogenkamp, and we're going to get into our classroom confession. So if this is your first time tuning in to Popular Podagogy, what we do with our classroom confession is we have um, our guests give a confession about something that either themselves or a student has done in the classroom. We know that teachers all have very funny stories, um, and we want to share them so that other teachers can uh, feel our pain. Um, if you would like to send in your classroom confession, you can do so to our email, popular.podagogy at queensu.ca. That's popular.podagogy, P-O-D-A-G-O-G-Y, at queensu.ca. Now, for this edition of uh, Classroom Confession, um, for Sawyer, because uh, he's doing his research on the school bus and because uh, school bus stories are frankly hilarious, we have decided to ask Sawyer if you rode a school bus when you were growing up, and if so, do you have a classroom confession that you can share about a story from the school bus? A rolling classroom. <laughs> <laughs> the... Uh... Actually, they're being, they're called, anyway, that's a side story. I have too many stories. Now they're all coming at the same time. It's a, but it's okay. 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 Uh, I'll start. Let's see. How about, so this is from when I was a child riding a school bus. So I rode a school bus from kindergarten right up to grade 12. So my, the longest route I had was almost an hour one way. So I spent a lot of good quality time on, on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in grade seven. So I would have been 12 going on 13 or so. Um, I got in trouble for bringing a ballistic weapon on the bus. So I think that can be my confession. What? Uh, no <laughs> details, please. <laughs> what were you thinking, and why did you do this? So <laughs> the uh, so in in grade seven science in the curriculum uh, is it's about pneumatics. So of course I as a boy I have the bright idea. Okay, I really want to launch a projectile as far as I can using air. So um, I hop on the dial-up internet and I find some old uh, paint schematics of um, of uh, people designing potato cannons. So um, a potato cannon, typically you might use a barbecue lighter and some uh, lighter fluid and mm-hmm. you pop a potato down the chamber or the big long tube. I may or may not have used one before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's your typical one. However, there was a pneumatic design where um, uh, below the chamber you'll have uh, have an air chamber and you pressurize it with an air pump or a car iron. So, so my father and I collaborated on, on this particular project. Um, it was within his interest as well <laughs> to see how this turned out. Um, and this all had the okay by, by the, by the, by the science teacher at the time. And because, you know, I wasn't, I, I, of course I need to make sure that I'm allowed to bring it to school because that was my only problem is, can I demonstrate this at school in the grade seven science teacher at the time said sure we can bring it we'll we'll take it outside it'll be fun so <laughs> i don't think she realized the the scope of uh, of this uh, of <laughs> my project so uh, long story short i i bring this um air ballistic weapon on, on the bus uh, and I sit at the front, and my uh, bus driver at the time, uh, uh, her eyes go wide, and she says, oh, what's that? And then I say, oh, it's just a potato cannon, but I'm going to sit here, right here beside it, right behind you, so <laughs> so you can monitor me. 
Um, little did I know, uh, she, uh, gets on her cell phone while, while driving, uh, to the school. And then, uh, when, as soon as the bus stops, the vice principal immediately walks on the bus, <laughs> grabs my arm, and, uh, marches me, uh, to the principal's office. So I walk there, and, um, uh, there's the principal, my science teacher, and, uh, two OPP police officers. Oh, no. So I get to have a, uh, lovely, uh, pre-meeting before I can demonstrate my, my science project, so. <laughs> well, uh, if you're out there and you still take the school bus, um, and you're for some reason allowed to listen to popular podagogy, um, please note that the spud gun is not allowed on the bus. Oh, the spud, the spud gun. gun is yeah. not allowed on the bus. So I did. So this, you know, <laughs> the science teacher tried to say that, hey, uh, you shouldn't have brought that on the bus. And of course, well, I live in the country. This is how I get to school. And then uh, the police officer remarked that they inspected it and said, this is air. Right? It said, yeah, it's air. It's not even pressurized. It's literally just empty tubes. Right, and then uh, and the officer said, "Well, it looks really well made, actually." It's, uh, <laughs> it's always good when you get an officer's approval. It's, yeah, it's nice. So the officers liked it, but uh, couldn't demonstrate it, and then had to get picked up on the way home. But, uh, yeah, that's just one of many school bus-related uh, excitement. So I have a school bus story of my own. Uh, it's probably not as good as the Spud Gun, but I'm going to give it a shot. So when I was in first grade, I was attending Princess Margaret Elementary School in Niagara Falls, and uh, my friends and I had all sat uh, towards the front of the bus, because when you're in first grade, that's what you do. Um, and then we had some of the older students who were sitting a little bit further back. Um, and so it was the beginning of December, and we were all getting pretty excited for Christmas. Um, and we were we were all on the bus, and we were talking about what Santa was going to bring us, and what was going to happen, and... And, you know, if we thought that Santa was going to be able to make it to everyone's houses and some of the students at the back of the bus just look up at us and say, hey, stupid, Santa's not real. And we all just kind of looked at him and we're like, what are you talking about? Santa's not real. Like, Santa's obviously real. How else would we get all of these gifts? And he goes, hey, stupid, it was your parents. And we go, wait a minute, Santa's not real? And then we all kind of, like, talked about it. We talked ourselves into it. We're like, no, there's no way. Like, he's not right. And then we kind of talked about this the next day and the next day. And then finally, our grade one minds finally wrapped around the idea that Santa wasn't real. And we, like, we had talked about it with this student again. We're like, are you sure? Like, there's got to be a way where he makes it around. And, you know, it's just obviously it's magic. It makes sense. It's it's the elf. And he goes, no, it's your parents. you got a clue into this. Um and so the worst part about it was that I was a grade one student. My parents still fully thought I believed that Santa was real. And I had to play into this lie for years afterwards. And so every single time I got a gift, I would go, thanks, Santa. And every single year until finally I could give up the facade because I was old enough and I knew that Santa was actually not real and my parents could admit it as well. So, yeah, the school bus uh, destroyed my Santa dream. So... <laughs> Not quite as exciting as getting pulled over by the OPP, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the way things go. Um, well, it's funny because, I mean, when you're young and you're, you're mixed with older kids, there's sort of a weird dynamic that you don't normally get. Oh, yes. I learned, trapped together. I learned many things that I will also not share on the school bus. Uh, but, uh, that's, that's another story for another day. 
And on that note, that's going to do it for another episode of Popular Podagogy. Um, before we go, I'm just going to give Sawyer, do you have anything that you want to, uh, plug? I know you've got quite the famous LinkedIn profile. <laughs> uh, no, as a young master's student, I'm still working on, uh, on, uh, publishing and disseminating my research. So nothing to plug just yet. Um, especially depending on, uh, when you're listening to me, things will be changing and be in flux. So in the meantime, if you're looking at uh, anything school bus related, uh, see if my name's beside it, I probably still be, uh, working on it. And if you're interested in seeing specifically, um, the information that we're talking about on this podcast, you can go and look at it on, uh, research in a nutshell, which is available through the faculty of education website at Queens university. Um, and if you like what you're hearing on the Popular Podagogy podcast, make sure that you uh, review and subs- subscribe. Uh, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, the Faculty of Education website, and the CFRC website. So uh, we welcome all reviews, especially the positive ones, and we also uh, would love to see you subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.